Welcome to the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm Sandra Pagenta, a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner, and I am your guide into the world of nursing job options. Take a seat and relax, and let's get started with today's guest. Hi, welcome to the Dr. Nurse Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Ashley Evans. She is a nurse practitioner and the CEO and founder of Psych Life Tea Company. She has her master's in health administration, and she has a master's in nursing, and she is a board-certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. She graduated in 2021 from the University of Alabama at Birmingham with her master's degree. She's currently working at a psych mental health clinic at the Veterans Affair Hospital. She created the Psych Life Tea Company out of her desire to create a positive experience for those who felt different by normalizing the conversation around mental health. Her challenge to all mental health professionals is to empower others to share their stories of mental health until the stigma is no more. Oh, I love that. That just, just like fires you up. And honestly, I love driving out stigmas. I think they're just a way that we limit ourselves. So beautifully said and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here with you today. Well, I'm so happy to have you on and to really dive into how you've carved your career and then also how you've made your business. Tell me about your current role and your job title and then what you do for a living, all the pots that you're involved in. Okay. Wonderful. I am a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner working for the VA here in Temple, Texas. In this clinic, we treat a myriad of mental illnesses from depression and anxiety to PTSD, schizophrenia, bipolar. We really see the gamut. And we also treat lots of substance abuse as well. We also have programs that we refer veterans to. Some of those programs are are residential programs where they go in in order to detox and to seek help for coming off of the substances. They would actually go into an inpatient unit to do that so that they can be closely supervised. And then once they have detoxed fully, they go into the residential program where they can learn how to cope with uh, being without substances and learn what they can do instead. It really is a very comprehensive program. We're very proud of it. I actually did a rotation in psych mental health at the VA when I was a nursing student. And it was an incredibly eye-opening experience watching and listening to these veterans that were experiencing mental dysfunction and illness. And I'm never going to forget, one of the guys just seemed completely normal. He came into the room, he sat down and he was 25, 26 years old. And I looked at my preceptor and I said, he seems completely normal. Why is he here? And she said, just listen. And so as he began to talk, he began to describe how he had two PhDs and these, all these different fallacies and delusions of grandeur. And I began to look around and go, oh my goodness, like this, this person is not well. And yet they seem, they, he seemed so normal. And it's just, again, kind of going back to that stigma that we all have, I feel like driving out the stigma of this mental health disease and people struggling with their mental health is critical because it can happen to any of us. It is it, it, just something that it can affect anyone and it can be in your family. You make a great point. And I want to pause here. I don't want us to proceed without really drawing out what you just said. The person looked normal, quote unquote. That's very important. And it's important because of this. What is normal, Right especially as it relates to having a mental illness or a physical illness, right? Like you can't tell that a person has hypertension by looking at them, right? You can't tell that a person has anything. You cannot tell, right? It is the same way for mental illnesses. I think there's there's one thing that we have to understand And it's the fact that mental illness is, in the past, it was associated with beggars on the street, nomadic people who look like they're quote unquote crazy. I don't use that word, but I'm trying to make a point. And the fact that that's not how mental health actually looks. It's what is portrayed to us. However, I have the face of mental health, right? 
you have the face of mental health. And the reason yeah. why I say I have that face is because I personally have had a 16-year journey myself with having just battling depression and anxiety. And I guarantee mm. you, I quote unquote look normal, right? Yeah. But that's what we have to get away from. This notion that there's a particular look, if you will, associated with having a mental illness. Yeah, because it's yeah. right. It can be yes. someone who has the most money in the world. Money in the world is not going to keep you from being sad. It's not going to keep yeah. you from being anxious. And it's certainly not going to keep your genetics from developing whatever you develop, yeah. which we know genetics play a huge part into schizophrenia mm -hmm. and bipolar. So it's just yeah. not going to do those things, Dr. Pregenzi. Tell me about how you developed your t-shirt company. So you've been working, how long have you been working at the VA? I have been working at the VA for five years. And prior to coming yes. to go back and, and tell you a little bit of my history, because prior to working at the VA, I worked in a community hospital back in our hometown, Auburn, Alabama. And at that particular hospital is when I had my first experience in psych. You can imagine these adolescents had severe trauma, trauma you can't even imagine. The worst of the worst adverse childhood experiences these children had endured from, from rape to other sexual assaults to being beaten. I mean, the list just goes on. And it was very sad. When I went into that unit, I thought to myself, oh my God, this is going to be a cakewalk, right? I'm just going to go and keep some kids occupied. I didn't understand just how impactful the psychiatric realm of nursing truly was. It's far beyond sitting with some patients. It's on that. I know a couple of years back, there was the notion of all psychiatric nurses do is sit around and play cards. Have you heard that before? I heard somebody, <laughs> some senator said something about all nurses do sit around and play senator, cards. Exactly. That we just sit around and play cards, right? But if that's all we did, can you imagine how much talking we do while we're playing those cards? I mean, it is a therapy session, 24 hours. When I started working in the adolescent unit, these kids, they taught me a lesson in the fact that you cannot show up all bubbly and think that your bubbliness is going to rub off on them on day one. It just does not work that way. When you yeah. have been exposed to the types of trauma that these people have been exposed to, and let down over and over and over again, it really changes them in a way that is very difficult to understand. But they don't yeah. just perk up and feel like you're a knight in shiny armor coming in because you're so nice and sweet. It takes for you to show up time and time again, day in, day out, shift yeah. after shift, to really influence them the way that you really want to influence them and, and start chiseling away at that hardcore surface that they have built over the number of years that that trauma was happening to them. So what I learned yeah. there was that they really experienced a great deal of embarrassment. They experienced a great deal of just feeling like people are, talking about them, looking at them. They they feel like pariahs, their own family. They they feel like their families don't love them. And many of them, their families have abandoned them. So they have every reason to feel like they're not loved. And most of the time they feel like it's because of their mental illness. We know that at the end of the day, that's not the real reason why their family abandoned them. Their families had lots of trauma that were going on with them as well. And mental illness, it is something that runs in families. Although the child is experiencing a mental illness, we can't forget that the parent usually is too, especially when you yeah. have a child that young experiencing it. 
When I started working at the VA and I started working with adults, I noticed that the very same things that kids are plagued by in terms of just embarrassment and feeling so isolated and feeling so different, adults are plagued with the same thing, right? They feel like their diagnosis has ruined their lives. And because of that, they, they feel like they can't be loved. They're unworthy is what they think in their mind. They think that people are looking at them, that they're uh, an embarrassment and they're ashamed of themselves because of carrying this diagnosis. And so I said, how can I give back? How can I show them that that's not what we're thinking, especially people who are in healthcare giving them treatment? We're not looking down on them. We want to build them up. And so I say, what, when a person has on a shirt, right? And the the shirt is a Nike shirt. And I'm from Auburn, Alabama, like I said earlier. Well, if you saw me with a Nike shirt that represented Auburn University, you would know two things. I love Nike and I love Auburn University, right? So I said, if I created an apparel line that pulled together really beautiful, bright messages, on bright tees and show support for the mental health community and show support for those who suffer with mental illnesses. I wonder how that would translate to them. I placed myself in their shoes, quite literally, Mm -hmm. because though I've never been a patient on an inpatient unit, I can empathize. When you have empathy, and you can place yourself in someone's shoes, what they are experiencing. And you try to do something that prevents them from experiencing a bad onboarding into an inpatient unit or a bad sure. exchange. And so that's why I came up with the T-Line because the T-Line has beautiful sayings, mental health matters, reflective practice, you are worthy. Just so many different things. I love that. And it reinforces our advocacy from us yeah. to the patient. And it's a great awesome. conversation starter as well. What have you noticed? Do you wear it to work? Have you noticed like any response from patients? Oh, yeah. It's definitely a conversation starter. Oh, that's because, so cool. Yeah. because when So I give go- me an example of like one of the, the conversations you've had with a patient. Absolutely. So I went and got one patient from the lobby and I had on my mental health matter shirt and he came into my office, sat down and he also saw my mug sitting there on my desk as well. Mental health matters. And he said, you really care, don't you? And I looked at him and I was like, care about what? I didn't know what he was talking about. And you really care about mental health. I said, absolutely. I said, I am Ashley All Things Mental Health Evans. And he was like, wow. He said, this isn't just a job for you. I said, it's my life. That's a really good segue into how you became a nurse and how you decided to be a psych mental health nurse. Because your journey is really interesting, starting in the corporate world, kind of realizing that there was something missing. When did you decide to become a nurse? And then walk me through your steps through nursing school and then to your master's degree. I'll make it as concise as possible. But when I first went to college, I went, I I obtained my undergraduate degree from Florida State University. Go Knowles. We won't hold that against you here, but go ahead. I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to become a psychiatrist. Okay. Interesting. So I was pre-med psychology. After the second psychology class, I was like, this is for the birds. This is depressing. And then I started delving into the math and science courses that I had to take for pre-med. I am, I am going to have to change my major because I cannot tell my dad that I am going to fail a class because it's so difficult. And I've always struggled in math and science. Well, let me just say, math has always represented an opportunity for improvement for me. (laughs) I love how you worded that. That's fabulous. They struggle because it's always right. Love that. Absolutely. I changed my major to international affairs, something totally different. Aced all my classes, graduated. Yes. To Birmingham, Alabama, 
and I started working for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama. And when I started working there, I started out in claims and I told my husband, I said, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get a master's in healthcare administration. I decided I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. This is for me. I love mm. administration. I convinced myself that mm. that was good enough. I went back to school, obtained that master's, and eventually was, I went into another position there at Blue Cross. But I still had that nagging urge that kept telling me, pulling on me, this isn't what you want to do. I ignored it. Why? Because the money was good. I mean, people say it's the golden mm. handcuffs, right? And they say that yeah, the, the salary is the price you pay to let go of your dreams. Like yeah. that money was good. Okay. I was yeah. getting my regular paycheck one Friday and the next Friday I was getting was known at that company as PBP, performance-based pay. And honey, my bonuses, I mean, they were awesome. I stayed there for a couple of years because the benefits were so amazing. So good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, they can catch you in that. It was not affecting my mental health. It was a very good job. People stay in jobs that are dead in and just no psychological safety and jobs where there's no support, encouragement, inspiration, and they do it all in the name of a benefit, right? Yeah. And yeah. that to me, because it's affecting your mental health. Were you having mental health issues at this job? No. Or were you, okay, so it was just, you were still having that nagging feeling Absolutely. that you were meant yes, to do something else. And I was like, well, I just, I really want to go back and do something else. Before I really listened to myself, my husband and I, we had a baby. This is when I developed postpartum depression at that time, after we had a baby. And my mom had died when I was 15. And so I had, I had my first son when I was 23. And I tell people all the time when I speak about grief that I did not fully understand nor process my mother's death until I had my first son. It mm. took me to bring a child into the world to really process the um, loss of her and what that yeah. loss represented. And, and yeah. because maternally, you expect for your mother to be there with you during this yeah. incredible time in your life. And she was yeah. not. Then having all of the hormones in my body just yeah. going through so much. That is when I developed postpartum depression and I ended up seeing a psychiatrist. He really changed my life. And I saw him at the urging of my husband who noticed that I wasn't the same Ashley that he had known for so many years. And I'm so mm -hmm. thankful that he noticed that in me. Yeah. Now this person who was crying all the time, didn't want to hang out with the baby, didn't want to, I mean, I was isolative. It, it was just not me, right? And I'm thankful that he encouraged me. But the one thing I said, because I didn't immediately say, okay, I'll go see the doctor. When he said, you yeah. need to go and see a doctor, I was like, no, I'm not going to go to a doctor. doctor. Actually, yeah. I think you have depression. And when he said depression, Aww. mental health, mental illness, I was like, have you lost your mind? Like, Black people do not go to see. I, mean, I was just thinking that, yeah, with being African-American. We have to be yeah. honest about the Black community. If we're going to yeah. really move the needle, we have to do it in a very honest and transparent fashion. Okay. Yeah. And so I was part of that group of people. I stand here before you, part of that group of people who thought to myself, mental yeah. health does not exist in black people because we are too strong. But it was, which is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's the strong that asks for help. Like Absolutely. that's vulnerability. That's Absolutely. strength and vulnerability. And in my mind, yeah. I considered it a weakness. I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to do that. But, I mean, it just mm. doesn't exist. I'm too strong. Like I've done, I'm the first person in my family who's ever gone to college and graduated. Like I started naming off all these things, but those things have nothing to do with your hormones and neurotransmitters in your body, increasing and decreasing and making you feel sad. So how did you overcome that? How did you overcome that? The stigma, the culture, your own rap sheet of success. How did you say, all right, I'm going? That's a great question. I, I listened to my husband 
And I said, what? I have a little one. It is best for me to go and see if I need to talk to someone about how I'm feeling because I was crying all the time. And I knew that wasn't normal, right? And so when I went to the psychiatrist, he treated me with such respect. He was a Caucasian male. And I don't know, I was so blessed. I was so blessed to have someone who treated me ethically, who treated me with beneficence, who treated me mm-hmm. with respect, who didn't rush me, but wanted me to fully process the grief that I had held for so long. He walked with me through those things. And I decided at that point, I have got to go back to school because I want to help people like he's helping people. And so that's what made me end up talking to my husband about, hey, I, I've got to get back, go back to school again. He's like, oh God, again, because I had already finished my, my master's and health master's. And yes. so I was like, yes, I have to. I said, but don't worry. I'm just going to go and get an associate. I just want to be a nurse. Okay. I just yeah. want to be a nurse. And so I went back and we moved back home to Auburn uh, so that we can have some help with our little one. And I started going to school after work at the community college in, in Auburn, Oklahoma. And I finished that degree in 2012, but I settle for, I don't settle. Okay. I keep going like the energizer, but, and so I started working in a NICU. Then my husband and I, we decided that we would be moving to Texas before then I said, well, I need to get back in school and get my BSN because that's the only way that I'm going to be able to really make changes and, and, and get back into administration as a nurse. And I said, this is it. I'm not going back to school after this. I go back to school and we moved to Texas and I completed my BSN. And that's when I started working for the VA. And oh my God, it was such a wonderful experience. I love working with that. And when you love doing something, when you're passionate about something and you can be more impactful if you get additional schooling, you're just going to do it. And I'm just going to go. I'm about to have this conversation with my husband yet again. But at this point, you've conditioned him. He's ready for it. I'll get this point. Okay. (laughs) So you want to go to school? (laughs) So I said, babe, just one more time. I want to go back and get a nurse practitioner degree. And so he knew how much I loved psych. And he said, absolutely. Uh, Here I am. And I'm already having a conversation about, should I do the PhD? Should I do the DMP? So (laughs) you're not done now. I love your hunger for knowledge. I love for your hunger for self-development and to continually improve your ability to impact patients' lives. And I share your love for the veterans. I also work with veterans and I absolutely love the population. It's actually the population that I felt like I'm meant to work with just because they are so real and raw and they tend to be in that age group that I love. I'm an adult nurse practitioner, uh, board certified. And so that's really what I like are just the older adults. And so it's just a total, a a complete hospital of older adults. I mean, this is like my, my playground. I love this, this place with just sweet men that served our country that gave so much for for us to be free it is so easy to just enjoy serving the veterans when you see that they gave up so much so that we could be free the least i can do is just take care of them well Mm -hmm. so i completely align with you and i again it does give you a different sense of purpose when you go to work i only work two days a week but when i do go in and they say how's your baby and i'm like oh, he's good. And they're like, I remember you were pregnant when you went out and I was worried about you or they brought me gifts when I came back to work. And so I just think they're some of the salt of the earth people and more nurses need, if you are burned out or tired, go work at the VA because the population is incredible. You will enjoy them. And I have enjoyed them. So I love that you're, you're sharing that. I I will tell you, veterans, some of the most transparent people on the earth. I agree. They don't have a filter and I love it. If it was wrong, they're going to tell you. And in the cycle, yeah. you love that because you don't want to have to go fishing and pulling out things that, or asking questions about things that are not pertinent to them. 
Mm-hmm. For the most part, veterans tell you exactly what's going on. They tell you what they're thinking, what they're having a difficult time with. And in, in, in the population that I see in the clinic, these people deal with lots of nightmares. They deal with mm. lots of hypervigilance and yeah. the PTSD is very strong. And yeah. they, they, they also deal with lots of schizophrenia and bipolar as well. But the, the population is amazing and I absolutely love it. And I love how when they come in very raw, needing the treatment, needing to get stabilized on meds, but being yeah. a little untrusting, like, I don't know if I really want to take these medications. And then you do your psychoeducation with them, do psychotherapy, give them medication, give them some group therapy. And they come back in a few months and they are transformed. Like, yeah. it's wonderful to see them in that That's way. Incredible. And you make them a believer. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I want to take a second and remind you guys to join the Dr. Nurse Podcast email list. I send out weekly emails about podcast episodes, weekly blogs I'm creating with information about nursing and building side hustles. I want to provide nurses with information that I am gleaning as I grow my podcast and my business. The link is in the show notes, guys. Be sure to check it out. And let's get back to the conversation. Yeah. No, it's funny that you say that because I had a patient recently I treated and he had said, I need to go see my psych doctor because, or my psych nurse practitioner, because he's like, I don't think these meds are working. And I was like, okay, let me tag her real quick on the note. So I tagged the nurse practitioner, but it was just, it was just, he was raw. He came in and was like, I don't think these meds are working. My mom's driving me nuts. And so it was just a raw moment of just, just who like where he was that day and he was okay nothing concerning was going on but he was just raw and i was like man i love this population so much it's totally my jam um and it's what i meant to take care of because i really really like them so ashley tell me a little bit about a challenge that you had to overcome in your career a moment that you felt like this is ashley's out she's not gonna make it but then you overcame whatever that was. Do you have an experience like that? There are many times that we make decisions that we later regret. And I remember I was in acute psych at the VA and I worked there for maybe eight or nine months and I saw a management position come up and I was like, oh, I've got to apply for this. I've got to apply for this. And I applied and I got the job and I remember finding out because the, the lady who I would be reporting to, the nurse manager, she was hiring for two assistant nurse managers. And I remember finding out who the second assistant nurse manager was going to be. Yeah. And there's always going to pe- be people whose aura and whose life does not align with yours. You hear the talk about them, but you don't you know, know 100%, but you're kind of like sure. pretty certain that this person isn't of the earth type of people. And so I remember finding out that this person was going to be your counterpart. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And I I prayed about it over the weekend. Like I I got the job offer and I prayed about it. I told my husband, I said, you're not going to believe this. We prayed about it and we were just like, what? Just go ahead and do it. Hopefully you'll be in a separate office. And so I ended up calling that Monday and I spoke yeah. to the nurse manager and I said, Hey, am I going to have a separate office? And she said, yeah, of course you'll have a separate office. Well, I never did tell her my concerns. I just told her I wanted a separate office. And I remember starting that job from the time that I got in that job, this person was trying to sabotage me and oh. to essentially just ruin my, my career ruin my credibility and who I am, everything that I stood for as a person, this person was trying to dismantle and I didn't understand why. And come to find out he was doing this because um, a person that he was seeing on the unit that we had worked for, I was friends with. And he didn't like the fact that he, that she and I were friends. So he was trying to ruin my reputation because I was trying to instill 
worthiness in her to tell her that she's worth more than being with a person who treats her so poorly like he was treating her so poorly and this is oh my goodness that is that is some psych drama is the truth honey (laughs) and so when he found out that i was saying those things to her building her up he was livid, but I didn't know about that because she didn't tell me. Oh, he started saying all these ugly, negative things, dismantling my, like, oh my God. It was oh the my worst gosh. ever. And so then what happened? I talked to my nurse manager and I said, hey, I'm going back to a keep site. And it was only after about seven months. At the end of the day, money doesn't matter. My name matters. Who I am matters. What I stand for matters. And but peace. I went back to acute psych and I should have never left because as soon as I found out who was going to be my peer, I knew it didn't feel right. But sometimes you do things that don't feel right. I went back to the unit and I gave the unit a thousand percent. I may have been given 999% before. <laughs> I was giving them a thousand percent now and went all in and yeah. was able to bring in ideas that I had brought changes for on the previous unit that I was working for those eight months, that CLC, which is the residential area for geriatric patients, and was able to implement some of those ideas that I created there and brought them over to acute sites. So that's cool. It wasn't, but it yes. was an incredibly difficult experience that I was able to get through and able to give back up even more once I got back to the place that I really loved. And see what I love about that, you think, ah, that would that wasn't great, but you still walked away with so much knowledge, so much experience. And so even though you tried it and it wasn't for you, you still are better because of it. And I really want my nurses and nurse practitioners that are hearing this podcast today to let that sink into your soul. Not every decision you're going to make, you're going to fit in and it's going to be perfect. Absolutely. But it will make you stronger and you will come out of it a better NP if you allow it to or better nurse and you'll be more chiseled in a way that that experience caused you some type of learning or some type of gap closure or something that you go... All right, that wasn't the best experience, but I still learned something from there. There's still a lot I can I can, I can draw from that. Discomfort yes. for me represents an opportunity for me to learn, an opportunity for me to get more comfortable with something that I would usually walk away from. Outside of nursing, in my regular life before I became a nurse, if something got difficult, I would walk away from it. When things go in a direction you don't want to go in. Nursing is such a robust field. You can literally like apply for a job today and have another job tomorrow. And that's yeah. what's so wonderful about nursing. And that's the reason why I was able to get through those eight months as the assistant nurse manager, because I knew that the options were limitless. I wasn't bound to stay yeah. in that place. It was just a matter of time before I put my mental health first and made the decision (laughs) to not worry about the money, but to worry about my health first, me first over the paycheck. The paycheck, it it will come, you know? Yes. I love that. And that resiliency, I know, is something that you put into your business and you put into your t-shirt business, that fervor that you have for mental health and and that passion that you have is being displayed in your t-shirts. It's in the messaging that you're conveying to your patients. And I think the best thing we could do as nurse practitioners is to remind people that they're worthy of love, worthy of attention, worthy of time. And that messaging is just something that I think a lot of us don't get a lot as children. And so you just become adults that still need those things. Just because you're a different age doesn't mean those things are not important. I love your journey. I love how that time that you were, you were taking care of the adolescents, it helped you still see those same needs in the adult population. And then you're looking to kind of fill in that gap with subliminal, but not so subliminal messaging of you are worthy, mental health matters. And that's your passion and that you have found it and you are operating in your zone of strength and in your zone of passion, which is 
which is perfect, which is just the perfect zone for, for your career. It so is. it really is. And one other any mentors. Oh, go ahead. You were going to say one other thing that I, I would like to say, I think sure. so many patients, so many people who have a mental illness, they believe they are the mental illness that they have. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And yeah. it's just not true. They identify themselves as actually the depressed person. I am depressed. That's who I am. I am depressed. Everything I do is depressed. Like we have to get out of that mindset though. You are mm. not the illness that you have. My name is Ashley Evans. I am a child of God. That's who I am. I might have depression and anxiety, which I do. Thankfully, they are under control and I'm stable. But what I'm saying is that they don't define me as a person. They don't. I I love that. Every day, my job that I have for myself is to debunk the stigma that's associated with those who have mental illnesses because most people think they are poorly functioning people and it's just not true you can be a very highly functional person and suffer with mental illness so that's one thing yeah. that i, I want to draw out that you are not what you what you struggle you, with you're not yeah you're not the diagnosis that you carry yeah, absolutely. I get this word picture of like the body, right? And so you have like arms and you have legs and you have hair and you've got nose and ears, and all these different body parts. And you don't walk around defining yourself by your nose or by your ear. You're a total picture, right? It's everything. You're the accumulation of all these different things and parts. And so it's the same thing with past struggles or depression, anxiety, or diagnoses that you carry. I mean, people with cancer or all these different things, they they have that same mantra of like, I am not this, I am this. And by focusing on what you are, you can elevate yourself up to that spot. If you focus in on the bad parts, the things that aren't working well, the things that are, everyone has a little something. It's like, well, that doesn't quite work the way it used to anymore. You can't look at that. You have to look at all that you do have that's working and functioning well. Powerful. The brain is powerful. If you focus on the negative, Sandra, then that's exactly what's going to manifest in your life. You to daily reframe the cognitive distortions that you struggle with. Please don't think that I am perfect in my thought life. It's just not true. No one is. Come on. Okay. Where you're thinking something negative, you have to daily reframe it, Sandra. Thankfully, we can do that because the brain is neuroplastic. And that neuroplasticity allows you to reframe all of those things that you have dwelled on and ruminated on consistently in your life. You can reverse it right now. Yeah. I posted today that how amazing is the soul that both the devil and God are both after it. And it is so true because it's this battle, right? This battle between submitting your thoughts either to positive things, things that are true or submitting your thoughts to the things that are not true. And you are not your depression. You are not your anxiety. You are so much more than those things. Um, And so leaning on to the truth, holding on to it. I I look at it like just holding on for dear life off the side of a cliff, just holding on to the truth and just saying, this has got to work because this is all I got is kind of the, the picture that I'm getting. I don't think you described any mentors along your way, but it sounds like your husband's been your biggest mentor, coach, keep you going. But have you had any nurse mentors along the way? As a matter of fact, I did not have a mentor until about a year and some change ago. In my last position at the VA, I was the high reliability organization lead. And I know you are familiar with high reliability because you're at the VA as well. But I was the lead for our organization here in uh, Central Texas. And so for those who, who don't know, could you explain what that is? So high reliability is really awesome. It is a, a type of organization that understands that it has many high risks in the organization. 
But though you have lots of high risk, like hospitals do, they have lots of high risk, you still want to have a very low adverse event rate. And so high reliability organizations pride themselves on giving their staff or instilling in their staff psychological safety, which empowers them to speak up when they see a safety concern, because it allows the organization to work proactively and not reactively. That's what an HRO is. And we have been on this journey as an enterprise in the VA since 2019. But slowly we're trickling to each um, system to spread high reliability, which is going to take a while because it's 160 facilities and over 1,500 CBOPs. But anyway, I'm sorry. I was actually thinking, man, I'm impressed if she knows all this. I don't even know all this. The lead for over a year and it still pumps in my veins. I still get very excited. And the whole incident with the nurse about a week ago. A redonda. Yeah. Oh my God. I posted about that. I'll have to share it with you. But that has everything to do with high reliability. Nursing is is really at a crossroads with that verdict because nurses are on the front line day in and day out. If the system is not ensuring safety for patients and nurses, then it's the system that is failing us. It's not the nurses that are failing. Because Redonda, there should have been systems in place to prevent, and this is all high reliability, there should have been systems in place to prevent Redonda from, from making some of the errors that she made in that incident. But because those yeah. systems weren't in place, such as her ability to give the, the medication without scanning it because she was in the pet scan room, I don't care what room you're in, you need to scan the med area. That's bad. Failed Redonda. Yeah. Okay. Did she make errors? Absolutely. But guess what? Ashley has made an error. I guarantee you've made an error. We are humans. That's why the system has to protect its human. But this goes in, in line with this because through high reliability is when I met the most wonderful, most awesome nurse. She was actually a colonel in the army. And her name is Wanda Jenkins. Shout out to Colonel Jenkins. I love her. Was HRO executive coach. And she served me in that capacity. So I was able to call her day or night with any problem that I had. Very quickly, when you meet people, Sandra, and I know it too, even though it's in a professional capacity, you very quickly learn, oh, I could be friends with her. I'm saying you think to yourself, oh, she, I love her, like her fervor, which is the energy, that energy, that, you know, that finesse, her ability to talk to everybody in the C-suite, because it's like she created the C-suite. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And she is just thought of the earth, most wonderful person, very selfless and will literally sit in the back while you do your thing and she has totally helped to prepare you and she's sitting in the very back and doesn't want the microscope on her she's totally good with you being in the front that makes her day you are pinpointing her ability to be a humble leader she would rather create leaders around her and through that creation, she's actually elevating herself, but she doesn't think that's, that's what she's doing. She's just, she's elevating others, but it's through doing that, that other people then go, this person is awesome. Even though what she's doing is working on making everybody else awesome. I remember a couple of months ago before I exited the position and went into mental health, she said, Ashley, I need you to put in, to become a presenter at AMSIS. Amphis is a conference and, and they do this conference two to three times a year and it's for healthcare professionals, but you're presenting to military healthcare professionals, right? Oh. And I was like, I've never done a presentation before. Like, like not that kind, right? Yeah. Like where you have delegates who are coming and they are considering you as the expert of whatever you're talking about. 
Like yeah. I present all the time, but not in that way, Ms. Wanda. She was like, well, that's what you're about to do. Oh, <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. So she said, what I want you to put together something. And I did, and it was chosen. And I presented at a conference for the very first time. So just things like that, that she, she inspires me. I never want to let her down. So when she asks me to do something, mm. I'm going to. Yeah. No, the main point I'm hearing in that is by taking your time and investing it in others, you will grow yourself, even though you don't even know you're doing it. And people, you will change people's lives in a, a lasting way. It'll be your legacy. And so I think that's incredible. And that's what she's doing either intentionally or not, but it sounds like she's a pretty intentional person. So I'm sure she's intentionally doing that. So for the last question of our podcast interview, it is about a piece of advice that you would give to a new nurse starting off that you wish you would have known. Go back to that Ashley, who's just like, I want to help people that you wish you would have known a piece of advice to toss and a piece of advice to keep toss and keep one of each. So I would love to give you this piece of advice. No matter what mistake you've made, speak up. No matter what mistake you've witnessed, speak up. And the reason why that's important, Sandra, is because if the error was made to Mr. Jones, we want to prevent that same error from happening to another Mr. Jones or whoever else. Don't yeah. be afraid of how you quote unquote may look. Throw that out of the, the equation. Mm -hmm. And what I tell people all the time is to do the substitution test. Because if Mr. Jones were your dad, your brother, if he were any of those people and you were in the room, wouldn't you want that nurse to speak up and let people know what happened, what mistakes? I respect people much more who are transparent and don't try to hide things over people who try to hide things and are very mischievous about it because you're not right. admitting what we all know to be true. We all make mistakes. So yeah. that's one thing that I, I want to tell people because in nursing school, it is drilled into you that you have to be perfect. I don't know about your nursing school, Sandra, but that's how mine yeah. was. You can't make mistakes. You got to be perfect. But y'all, that's, that's false. It's an illusion. It's not reality. So it makes nurses walk on eggshells. The standard is unattainable. Being perfect is completely unattainable. And so what, what I also want to drive home that I think is good that you're saying is I know that when I've come forward with a mistake in any capacity that I've worked in, patients are way more receptive than if you did not tell them and then you continue on as if you were in that perfect state. I have received more grace and more covering when I've said, we made a mistake here and I've owned up to it in the moment. I've let the family know, the patient know, in that same vein of what would I want done to my family member? And I have always been received with, thank you for telling us. And we trust you more now because you took that moment and you could have covered it for your ego, but you humbled yourself and you said, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake here. And there's a humility that I believe that nurses need to have, should have, probably mostly do have. And I think that's also why the Redonda case bothers me because she came in and said, I made a mistake. And so I think that when we confess and we say, hey, listen, I screwed up here, we need to be met with, and we typically are with, from a patient standpoint, we're met with, with grace. And so again, there is, I think, a lot more to gain by being honest than being dishonest and trying to cover to look like a certain way. Absolutely. So, One thing that someone told me, and it made so much sense, I don't know if you are going to want to remove this from the podcast. If you do, that's totally fine. No, if you preface it like that, it stays. That <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, people sue. It's so true. He said, when you are honest and you tell people, I am sorry, I made this mistake. I, I was overwhelmed. I don't know what happened, but I made an error. He said, those aren't the people who get sued. Those aren't the people who whose families press charges. It's the yeah. to ask yes. them about what they did. The people who, 
hide the thing. Yeah. It's very difficult to reconcile. I agree. It's It's been very disturbing for healthcare professionals because physicians have also been like, this is terrible. Nurses, of course, are up in arms. Like, this is super scary. My and what it will do, it'll drive us away from the bedside. Like, it will drive good nurses away from the bedside, which is not what we need right now. Don't think you need to be perfect. Be honest. That is that is the most beautiful thing you can do with your nursing career because you've got people's Absolutely. lives in your hands. An one honest thing, nurse. One other thing I'll say is to be authentic. When you can go home and know that you've made a difference be the difference don't worry about the naysayers at work that say oh suzuki was always trying to brown know somebody girl listen who cares about what these people say they are jealous because you have a fire in you i love that that's how we ended on love that last part of the interview is the rapid fire questions these you cannot prepare for and they will come at you fast Ooh. and you will have to just spit out whatever comes out what's your favorite holiday Christmas. What is your favorite beverage? Water. I'm so boring. Oh, that was so boring. I was not expecting that. I was it's thinking boring. like like a margarita. You seem like you like have fun. And what would you call, uh, what would be a spirit animal that you could look at an animal and go, I think I'm that animal. You're going to laugh. Which one? A tiger. A tiger. Because baby, I am a go getter. Tigers, honey, they sit back. They have a vision. They create a plan and baby, they pounce on it. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Thanks, Ashley, for sharing your journey and for just being so animated and fun. It's been a great time. And I'll put in the show notes where to find your t-shirts if we have any mental health nurse practitioners that are wanting some cool swag uh, where they can find and, and, and pick up some of those items so that they can support their patients and just tell people that they're worthy and that mental health matters and all the wonderful messaging that you're providing on your company. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right, guys, continue to enjoy the journey. So that's a wrap. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave me a review. If you like the show, I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse podcast is on the World Wide Web, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, and TikTok. Subscribe to my newsletter for updates on new podcast episodes and other information to help you on your own nursing journey. You can always message me at the Dr. Nurse podcast at gmail.com with any career professions that you are interested in hearing about. And just a friendly reminder, the information on this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used in substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or professional advice or services.